is Miles from the UK. Thank you, Miles. Oh, are we starting? Yeah. Oh, crikey. Crikey, I thought it would be a bit of an intro or, you know, the preamble or something. Uh, well, call me off guard. Thank you, Tom. My name's Miles, and I, I'm still, well, let's just say I'm still I'm sober in secular AA. I like to say that. Um, I'm sober in secular AA, and it's the truth. And uh, I am very, very fond of secular AA. Um, bit of a long story, and um, see if I can, you know, not not say anything that, you know, is too boring or whatever. But um, we were just talking about Iceland before, and um, I, that's where I got sober. Um, I got sober in Reykjavik, Iceland in 1989. I'd been living there. Uh, I was 36 years old or 35. I'd been living there a long, long time. and. Um, and um, my alcoholism, you know, it was kind of tempered because I had a job. I worked in a design studio as a as a graphic artist, as an illustrator. <laughs> I used to swim every day with my boss, drink on the weekends with my boss, and go to macrobiotic restaurants. Now that doesn't sound like the sort of you know hard story you'd read in the back of the big book, does it really? However, within that you know, my mental and emotional state was, you know, really, really poor. And, um, and, and I was quite isolated. And, uh, and I drank. Uh, and Iceland is a, a wonderful place to, to be anonymous and fit in with the others. There's always a worse drunk around. Um, you know, you've only got to go into Reykjavik on a Saturday night, and it's, uh, it's the Vikings gone berserk. Um, the wonderful thing about getting sober in Iceland is that very, very small community, and they still have this kind of old-fashioned, which I love, old-fashioned, a bit like they said in the doctor's opinion, you can rely absolutely on what these men say about themselves. If you've been sober a couple of years, then, you know, people wanted you to work for them. Um, family illness, most people had an alcoholic in the family. Uh, there was strong Al-Anon and whatever. Um, going back to the very beginning, I won't go through a drunkologue, but um, just little bits of my story that added up as to why I chose alcohol and drugs to uh, ease myself out of my emotional discomfort and my dis-ease with myself, which was which was quite, quite strong. Um, mother and father, um, mother had a tragedy just before I was born. She had a, um, her firstborn daughter, Kath Kathleen, who would have been my, my sister, died of leukemia at the age of two and a half. And my mother and father knew from about the age of one that this was gonna happen. And, um, and, and you know, whenever I talk about it, I just feel, feel something in my heart there about how awful that must have been for them back in those days when there was no, there was no grief counseling, you know, and, um, and I was born pretty soon afterwards. So um, whatever happened, whatever happened, you know, there was, uh, I grew up with a, a heartbroken mother who'd been, you know, had a nervous breakdown, and that's where my early years were. Um, the rest of my family life was, you know, what I was treated well. Um, you know, I uh, uh, there was no no alcoholism in my family. There was my mother's mental health, but um, but you know what, it doesn't doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't take a lot. Um, I grew up being very shy, very reserved. Uh, it was a family that had this very sort of strict conservative values boys are boys are hurt boys are seen but not heard anger is a dirty word whenever adults come around go off to your room 
So I, you know what, I, I didn't learn to socialize or learn how to be free with my parents, but I did have a really active life on my own and that involved fishing and, you know, doing boys stuff. And, and, and when I look back on my childhood, I was quite blessed. And I use that word in secular, not in any religious sense, but that word to me is the best word I can come up with, you know. Um, and um, But things started going AWOL in my teens. Uh, I started smoking marijuana, started drinking at the age of 14, 15. Fell in love with a girl from my heart, from my school, absolutely smitten. Uh, and I was like a little boy, really. And she dumped me. And she, when she dumped me, my sense of abandonment and my sense of loss from, from finally having a kind of close connection with somebody absolutely destroyed me. I had a suicide attempt at the age of 17. Um, we were supposed to go to art school together. I, I went to, I, I uh, put myself into a psychiatric hospital for a while and realized it was like one flew out of the cuckoo's nest and, and I needed to get out. I wasn't as bad, but I was, I was really, really mixed up. I can look back now and think and re recognize that it wasn't so much the drugs or the alcohol, but it was the family dynamics and, um, you know, I've done a lot of work on that and Alcoholics Anonymous has helped me open up the door to be able to, you know, go and find therapists and, and, and pursue other other means to, to dig a little deeper, you know, after after doing all the step work and, and everything else we get to do. So, so um, yeah, I went to art school and, and kept very quiet, um, did well at art school, tentatively have a girlfriend. I drank a bit. Um, it was quite controlled. But then I went to Iceland and my drinking really took off. Even though I said I had a job and everything like that, I was pretty desperate. And I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I got a girlfriend who was who was uh, a drinker, and uh, I didn't understand it. And I went to see a I went to see a therapist in Iceland about my girlfriend. You know the blame game. And and after a couple of sessions, he gave me a book, Children of Alcoholics, Adult Children. I kind of read it and thought, well, what's this? Then he gave me the 12 questions that they often give, uh, you know, to decide whether you're an alcoholic. And there's a line in the big book that says, once in a while, he may tell the truth. And that day I told the truth and I answered about nine out of the 12. And from then onwards, things changed. That was like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I better do it. I'm desperate. I'm feeling suicidal. I'm about to lose my job. I am, you know, I'm in a spiritual malaise. I am, I'm, yeah, I'm in bad shape. So I went into Alcoholics Anonymous in Iceland. It was a candlelit meeting and they got a they got a, a seat in the middle. And there was a chap there who I'd always really liked. He was the cool guy at parties and uh, he always had the best, best hash and a bit of cocaine and, you know, and um, and there he was. And and he was sober and I, I didn't know what was going on, but he said, we've, we've set a chair there's a chair waiting for you here i hated that how dare you how dare you and i realized looking back that i was that desperate but picky you know and and i i did not understand alcoholism uh i can look back now and say it was a mixture of ignorance but it was also that side of the the illness and i'm reluctant to use disease disease these days i'm not going to go into it but it's certainly a maladaptive coping mechanism but um I realized about denial, you know, after time that denial was what had been keeping me, keeping me drinking. I'm not that bad. Look at me. Health food restaurant. 
you know, um, you know, working, working, uh, swimming. No, you know, what alcohol. I was brewing and I was saying the, the government rose the prices of booze, which was really, really expensive. So I stopped eating as much and spent that money on alcohol. I started brewing beer up in my up in my in the spare room, not just one barrel, but 300 bottles at a time. I had a, a little a, a little grow light area where I'd got these seeds from Amsterdam that someone had gave me. So I was growing my little harvest. And, you know, during the period of my first year of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I started talking about this, it became clearer that, you know, this wasn't the way ordinary people live. So, um, so um, I must say, I came into AA in Iceland and I haven't had a drink since. I was really, really, really low. I kept coming to meetings got a sponsor um, and, um, you know, and, and met up with him, um, had a couple of books. What did I read? Read Living Sober, as Bill sees it, and the 24-hour day book. Now, that's very, very gaudy, but you know what? And I must say, at the time, it didn't worry me. You know, I was willing to go to any length. So so um, it was only after a few years that I started putting that back and started looking I need to move forward with with other things. So um, it was a wonderful community for getting sober in. Um, you know, we did a lot of, lot of stuff outside outside of the meetings. And um, it was like Flotsam and Jetsam from all over the world who'd arrived in Iceland and, you know, as alcoholics or become alcoholics. And we all met in this English-speaking meeting called the Midnight Sun Group. And a lot of Icelanders came along. Uh, they really liked it because the Icelandic meetings were a bit dour. You know, they can be very stiff. And, and and I didn't understand the language. I'd been there for years and years and years. One of the first things my sponsor <laughs> requested I do, Miles, you're going to go to Icelandic lessons. <laughs> uh, and did I mention that that guy who I thought was really cool, uh, who'd done the cocaine and stuff, he was my sponsor, David. Um, so, you know, I started working the steps and, um, you know, I knew nothing. This is year, I, 1989. 34 years ago. So that's what I had. Um, I've got to keep an eye on the clock here, right? I moved to America nearly two years sober. Uh, I knew that it was time to move away from Iceland. Um, you know, I'd, I'd uh, yeah, I'd been there many years and I was hiding out and, um, and, um, and I decided to go to America and, and I did. And I moved to a little place um, near Katona. Some of you, I don't know who you've got in this group from America, but uh, in New York State, Westchester County, Putnam County. And um, and when I joined that group there, there, it was a massive move, but I was a year and a half, two years sober, and it felt so, I was so excited. You know, I'd started reading those three books from AA, AA literature, but because I couldn't read when I first came in, I couldn't concentrate, but Little by little, I put on a bedside table, pass it on, Dr. Bob and the old timers and, uh, and, and the Bill Wilson one, I forget what it was called. So I was really interested in what is this AA stuff? Who were these guys? What was going on? And I, I just, and for me, learning to read made it even more special to me in early recovery. And by and large, it turned out that Bill Wilson's house was 15 miles down the road from me. And, uh, and the chap, and I went, I joined a group called Soma's Serendipity, and I got straight into the group, and I asked the guy to be my sponsor, and it was a laconic Texan from Paul Lang, really lovely guy, Paul, um, he'd been a Vietnam vet, um, he loved Harleys, which I didn't, I eventually 
got a Triumph and we used to ride around together. We went up to the built the Wilton House up in Vermont and uh, we went, you know, we, we used to go to men's halfway houses and do incoming meetings and wonderful fellowship. And I miss that, that kind of connection I had not only with my sponsor, but a few of his sponsees, we all hung out together and it was, it wasn't like, oh, there's a sponsor. It was no sort of hierarchy. It was just really nice, warm fellowship and acceptance. And, and it's what I needed. And it's what I still need, you know. So um, so anyway, it worked out that Paul was a, um, he did, he did um, service work at Stepping Stones. He was the archivist there. And, um, and um, as I hadn't got any work, I was struggling to be an illustrator. Um, AA was wonderful in, you know, meeting people and doing a bit of painting and decorating this and that struggling to get a portfolio together. And, and Paul said, you know, you could come and work. We need some, we need a groundskeeper at Stepping Stones. And it's not always work with sponsors and sponsors, but we can check it out. I think you're well enough, Miles, to, you know, we're able to talk to each other, which was great, really. And he got his sponsor, his sponsor was working there. I was scared stiff of him, born. Real tough old, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth or whatever the saying is, you know. And and um, I, I, you know, I was like, "Whoa, he's not he's he's not an he's not an easy arty sort of you know touchy feely sort of guy like I like hanging around with." But again, a relationship with Vaughan grew. He gave me this big old Buick. His car, this big old Buick that had got it used to have a used to have a, a pale velour sort of top, but it had got so much moss on it. It had got a green moss top. And the car was olive green and it was so old, it was matte, but it was wonderful. I could go down to New York in it and taxi drivers would get out of my way, you know. But um, so that really nice sort of people helping people. And I and I worked at Stepping Stones, just helping around the garden and, uh, you know, doing odd jobs and painting and, uh, and and learning to do little tours when people came. And it was, it was very special. I mean, I'm a person in secular AA who doesn't, you know, throw the big book out, throw our history out. I've got the reason I'm in secular is for many reasons. You know, it seems to be <laughs> I like the free thinkers and, and you know, the, this kind of, the kind of rigidness of some AA and the God stuff. But but back then, you know, where I was, it seemed like, you know, we were in a bunch of guys who were pretty easygoing and pretty accepting. Um, so. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, what can I say? Uh, so. Sobriety there, I eventually did um, start becoming an illustrator and I did pretty well for about six or seven years and then business, um, business collapsed. At that time, I was I was sponsoring people and still working with Paul and, um, and, and you know, a bunch of us going out doing doing service, surface jobs. And um, and I always really liked that because for me, when somebody first asked me to do service, I thought I got nothing to give. And, and and doing whatever somebody was talking about doing the coffee here and we made a joke about you know starting off with the coffee and then moving up to you know maybe doing a meeting or being a secretary or or, or, or going to one of the you know GSR meetings or whatever um but and sponsoring people and learning you know learning that I can't get anyone sober and going through all of those that that sort of teething stuff of you know um I'm not in charge I can't do this but really wanting to get people sober and, 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 and getting too much into the control and, you know, all those parts of my personality that, you know, that were being, they were being unearthed and they were being exposed in, 
in the healthy side of you know the things and the very first time i'd hear women talk about being incested or or you know having having sexual abuse and i never i'd never heard of anything like that and i became friendly with people and, and you know the world just sort of opened up in many ways i lost my job um for some reason illustration um just you know took the took a tumble it was nothing to do with uh, anything wrong i did so i i had a sort of crisis at about 45 didn't know what to do and and i knew i couldn't be an art teacher i was pretty pretty worried um i went down to a local rehab thought i might get a job as a van driver and i spoke to the spoke to the guy in charge there he was a young guy he you know, you got about seven or eight, well, I say only, but for the guy in charge of a rehab, he got about seven or eight years. And and, and I was telling him about, you know, my AA and, and stepping stones. And he said, you know what, Miles, you, you could be a, you could be a, a counsellor here. I'm like, what? what? So they took on unqualified counsellors in the evening, in the evening shift. And it was a place called, I don't know if there's anyone from New York, a place called Arms Acres. And it's quite a big, quite a big 12-step rehab they've got a uh they got a, a a detox with a doctor on board and qualified nurses a women's wing a men three men's wing and an adolescent wing so it was a big place so I started working there and that was another that was an experience and you know I mean since then I I've kind of that's what I've been doing on and off up until retiring <laughs> retiring by force a few years ago um and, and, and that was a wonderful experience, but it was also taught me that I have to look after my own, my own recovery. And, um, and at the same time, I realized that in order to, to get a, a slightly less strenuous or taxing, or it's not like sponsoring someone, a lot of these guys, some of you know, you know, they're not in rehab for the main reason and all sorts of skullduggery going on. You, you wouldn't believe the things, well, you would believe. And, and so quite a lot of it was policing. Um, quite a lot of it was, you know, helping nurses out when people were having seizures. And uh, so I got to see all realms of chemical dependency and, and it was hard work. And, you know, a lot of this I would, I would take in. Um, so I realized I had to go to school. So I started a school a school thing in order to, to get a job as a as a case manager, which would be slightly, you know, give me a give me a boundary and give me, you know, slightly better money and it would just be better for my well-being. So at that point, it was a really difficult time in my in my life because I was working in a rehab. I was going to school to study something. I'll tell you the truth, I still wished I was an illustrator and I was trying to go to AA meetings and I was getting full up to here with it. And, you know, so that's a pretty, pretty difficult place to be in, you know? So, um, so I didn't lose contact with people, but um, yeah, yeah. I had a couple of breakdowns in recovery, you know, various, various levels, but I haven't picked up a drink. Um, remarkably that desire left me, but, um, but suicidal thoughts, um, definitely. Definitely. So that's, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm a work in progress and um, and and been ups and downs. And, you know, it's, it's, it'll be 34 years in um, in September if I get that far. And, and it's a life. It's a life led. You know, I've led a full life. And if things never get better for me, uh, I can look back and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, I've met some wonderful people and I'm only here because of other people. 
you know what my higher power i said it many years ago my higher power was wears flesh and bones and skin and has massive heart and there've been you know just wonderful people i've met along the along the road um i came back to england probably about 10 years ago it was a really big move my mum god bless her poor old mum was getting really really old and and kept going into hospital and i i just couldn't afford to to keep coming back so i made the move back and and it was a really big one i uh i you know i didn't own a house or own anything really i've been working paycheck to paycheck um you know in america i had some wonderful hobbies i i got myself an old jeep wrangler an old really old one with a uh uh convertible top and uh i used to sit on top kayak i put on top and i drive through the night in the summer uh down to um where is it what's the name of that place i can't remember anyway go past you go past connect road island yeah I'd go to road island and i i and i'd fly fish for for salt water for bass and i i went fly fishing in the cat skills which i loved and oh i wish i could do it again you know um i lots and lots of and and taking a trips up to maine and every winter i took my motorbike up to maine and stayed in a little cabin and fished for the sea, uh for the um, landlocked salmon uh hardly caught anything but i had a lot of adventures and um so so you know that was the benefits of sobriety all through this i've been trying to find a nice lady to compliment me and well that's another story i found lots of nice ones but there's a part of me that still is that little boy that i talked about earlier that you know attracts people and then perhaps attracts emotionally unavailable or or gets very scared and runs away myself and um and so i've never really been in a, a very long term relationship I stayed in England and looked after mum for a long time. I uh, did some hard jobs here working in the prison as an alcohol counselor working in a men's shelter. Um yeah, difficult and and watching mum watching mum gradually, you know, gradually uh lose her. She had a stroke and then she ended up in hospital and finally had to put her in a in an old people's homes and um I lost my sister about 15 16 years ago to suicide so there was no family around um my neighbor the mum's neighbors were wonderful but it was quite a lot i had to i had to hold on myself and um and when she finally passed um yeah i uh, i just decided i had a little inheritance and decided i've just got to look after myself for a while so i i i i i the therapist i was seeing then therapy's been a wonderful thing for me i've had a lot of it um you know if more is better it hasn't you know i still need a lot more um but um yeah they put me in touch with a a really interesting counseling course nearby it's a place called dartington which was an old almost sort of bohemian kind of um what would you call it an enclave or something from the 30s or the 40s but anyway they had a they had a a really good quality counseling course integrative so it was things like uh, gestalt person centered um trend uh, uh gosh I'm trying to think what the others were it was uh, cbt and uh trend trends trends i can't remember my my brain's gone anyway <laughs> so i studied that for a while and um and and those two years of that which was really really good for me and i didn't expect to get a job but it was i had enough money to do it and i could relax with a little bit of money from my inheritance which 
which soon run out. But um, I'm looking at the time here. I've got a couple more minutes. Anyway, um, this wasn't supposed to be a chronological story, but it has turned out like that. In that period, I met online um, <laughs> my future wife. She got in touch with me on on a on a dating site, and and immediately I, she was in Canada. Immediately, I said, "Typical story of my life. You, you've got in touch with me. You sound wonderful. You look wonderful, but you're unavailable. You're in Canada. Bye." Anyway, we just decided to keep in touch, and we kept in touch. And then I decided, "Why don't you come over?" So she did. She she came over to see me, and um, we had a really nice week together. And she went away and. And then we met at Christmas, and but no thought of anything going on. And then I went over to Canada to to go on a, a experiential workshop with them, um, which was a bunch of guys called Clear Mind out of Vancouver, who were really, really. I mean, this is the stuff where uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me the chance to go and join in with, you know, other other forms of healing and and try to that caused the alcoholism, you know, the bottles were the symptom for me. Um, anyway, I went out there and it really was was lovely. And I met Carla again and um, came home and asked if she would like to get married. And um, and I went over to Canada and got married outside in the in the snow, <laughs> in the Edmonton in, in about 30 degrees, minus 30 degrees, Christmas 2015, I think it was. And um, so I had to come back and... Um, uh, 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 you know, and plan going over. And at that point, I was getting really weary with English AA, you know, the local AA. I was just feeling lost in it. It was just, I just didn't feel like it. I, you know, I, I just, I didn't stop going, but it didn't feel like a support for me. Uh, anyway, I went to, I did go to Canada and to cut a long story short, um, it didn't work out. Um, and uh, I wanted it to work out, but um, I ended up working finally getting a job in rehab which was a really hard one i got 12 clients and you know you guys in america are aware of the fentanyl problem um it was pretty new to me and and these guys were a lot of them were doing methamphetamine and fentanyl and lots of alcohol of course but so um and and the backup there was not very supportive i need the support you know um you know what we need to need to be have stuff coming in to be able to put it or you can't give out what you don't have so um so i was getting more and more drained and and uh um and, and it affected the relationship and um, and she decided um wasn't going to do anything about it so so i i came back in in 2019 straight for covid and um heartbroken absolutely heartbroken i thought this was a woman i was going to spend the rest of my life with and um and I spent the last few years really, really trying hard to to recognise the grief and and work with it and, and 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 arrive in England with you know sort of I'm not going into any of that stuff now. I'm I'm working as a gardener and uh, on a very very small pension and uh, I live in a really small place and uh, it's uh, it's not what I expected. So so but I found secular AA and that is wonderful. You know what? This place is. This is so good. I just feel where I, I feel comfortable. I feel um, I feel accepted. I feel heard, and and I live on my own out here, and I don't have family, and I don't really have friends around. So for me, secular secular on Zoom is really really important. Um, there's a couple of people here who know our group. Oh, I see Ian there. 
Good to see you um, Saturday morning, um, Raynham. I've been fortunate enough to overstay my welcome as the chair of that group. I have. We've had business meetings, and I've said, "Listen, I've been doing this for a year. I I like doing it, but you know what? This is not the Miles Show. Anybody want to do it?" And I look round, and great, no hands have gone up. <laughs> so I, so I can keep doing it, and I'm with a lovely guy called Roger. And you know, there's people here. I can only see a few faces, but I can see I can see Jonathan. I can see Ian. I know Roy's here, and I love these guys. And you know, I've not met them. Um, one of these days, I hope I will. Um, so, my message is: um, keep on keeping on. And uh, you know, they used to say to me in early days, "Don't give up, even if your ass is dropping off." Um, this morning, we did a we, we did a subject of self-esteem, and and there were some wonderful shares there. And I began to realise just that recovery for me continues to be. How can I just tiptoe with it into a little bit more self-esteem, you know, like myself enough? You know, I don't love myself, but I'm beginning to fancy myself a little bit now and again, you know, um, and um, and come back into come back into it. But um, yeah, yeah. So I won't I won't say much more. I hope that's been helpful to someone. It did turn into a little bit of a monologue about, you know, then and now. So um, but anyway. Thank goodness for Secular. Thank you, Tom, for inviting me. It's really, really helped me this weekend to be able to come here and talk. Um, being heard is really important. And uh, I hope to be able to hear anyone else should they need, you know, some ears to listen to. So thanks, everyone.